Welcome to the Mornings with Sue and Andy podcast for Monday, May 30th. We begin with an update on last week's tragic school shooting in Texas. Global News national correspondent Heather Urex West brings us the latest from Uvalde, Texas, following a weekend full of emotional tributes to the 21 victims. Are you having difficulty finding a family doctor? Well, if you are, you're certainly not alone. New stats point to the number of doctors accepting new patients dropping by half in less than two years. We'll discuss the issue with Global News Calgary reporter Sarah Offen. Tis the season for seasonal allergies. How to know if it's just a cold or an allergic reaction to the best way to cope with sneezes, sniffles, and runny eyes. We catch up with Dr. Ted Jablonski, our on-call family physician. And finally, it's our weekly segment aimed at helping you reach your goals and live your best life. This week on Motivational Monday, we learn about a unique philosophy to find success. We speak with author Beth Jones about her new book that claims you can achieve more by doing less. President Biden was in Uvalde, Texas, over the weekend following last week's deadly shooting that claimed the life of 19 children and two teachers. With details on the latest developments, we're joined this morning by Heather Urex west Global News correspondent who is in Texas. Good morning to you, Heather. Thanks for being with us. Good morning. Thanks for having me. Uh, so, I mean, somber and sad to see President Joe Biden, First Lady Jill Biden there dropping flowers off at the memorial that's been set up outside of that school. What did the president say when he was speaking with the parents and those that were gathered to see him? Yeah, this is, of course, the second time in, in just two weeks that uh, the president and the First Lady have come to a, a community devastated by a mass shooting. Of course, we had Buffalo just you know, just at that grocery store a short time ago, and now this horrible uh, event here in Uvalde, Texas. Uh, he spent about eight hours in, in the community, and three of those hours were spent with families uh, in private meetings um, behind closed doors. So we don't know what he said to these those families, but uh, uh, it was a considerable amount of time uh, spent with those uh a group of people that are, are still reeling. It hasn't even been a full week since uh, just the unthinkable happened. Uh, 19, you know, young girls and boys and, and two teachers. He also attended uh, a mass here at uh, the Sacred Heart Catholic Church, which was the same church that a fourth grade teacher, uh, Irma Garcia, attended with her husband. And of course, Joe tragically died just two days after the shooting of a heart attack. His family says, he died of a broken heart. So that uh, church community is also reeling. We, we heard some, you know, frustration from the community um, on the lack of action around gun control uh, in in this country. As the president and first lady were leaving the church, you know, they were yelling, "Do something! Do something!" And and the president did, you know, promise that he, he would try and do something. You know, we've had school shootings be such a part of the fabric of this country since 1999. Columbine, um, you know, a lot of people thought things would change after, um, you know, after uh, Newton, but here we are 10 years later and, and we have another tragic shooting at an elementary school. Heather, as you chronicled the weekend, uh, you know, filled with memorial services for the victims. And we, we, we did see the pictures here on, on Global News and, and online. You can see the pictures of what it looks like. But I'm, I'm wondering if you can paint a picture for us, Heather, of the ambiance. What's it feel like to be in a community that has experienced such tragedy, you know, a, sh- a few short days ago. Yeah, this is a, a small community. There's about 16,000 people, so it's just a little bit bigger than High River, right? It's, it's a small community, um, but everybody has been 
so rocked by this, not only in Uvalde, but the entire, you know, region of, of southwest Texas. So because it is a long weekend right now, we're seeing a lot of people come into town just to pay their respects. There are two big memorials in, in town, one set up in front of Robb Elementary, uh, another in the town square. They've just been growing by the day, flowers and stuffed animals and, you know, small ball gloves for, for the, the softball players. Uh, there's a teen magazine with, you know, BTS on the cover for one of the little girls who was a big fan. You really get to see their, their personalities when you take a look at each of the memorials. And, and people are, are just waiting, like uh, sunrise. There was already a lineup that had um, that had formed outside the school. There are, there are police that... Um, uh, that have kind of blocked out an area where people can line up and are letting a few people up to the memorial at a time to pay their respects. Uh, at one point on um, over the weekend, people were reporting having waited, waited in that line for four hours. So people are really, really feeling compelled to come here to, to be with this community and, and to grieve with them. It, it, you know, I, I mean, people have been impacted all over the world. I mean, anybody with, with children in their lives are really feeling this deeply, but particularly in this part of, of South Texas. Hey, Heather, do we know at this point any more about the delayed response from police? I was just reading this morning about a mom who uh, she had been handcuffed at one point, got the police to let her out of the handcuffs. She hopped a fence, snuck in a back door, and actually went and got her own two children and pulled them out of the school, all while officers were standing outside of the door where the shooter was. So do we know any more about why it took them so long to go in? It's so hard to wrap your head around this, isn't it? Like, as a parent, we were at the memorial yesterday, and, and a, a man came over, and he was a firefighter, and he's like, can you just ask them why? I mean, if, 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 it was, if we were at a fire, we wouldn't wait 40 minutes to go into a fire. I mean, that's, that's the sentiment. So uh, yesterday, the mayor um, had put in a request to the Federal Department of Justice to uh, initiate an investigation into the police response. They have accepted that, so they will be investigating. Now, this isn't a, a criminal investigation, uh, but uh, it, it will, you know, hopefully find some answers as to what went wrong here, because something clearly went wrong. The, the police have even you know, admitted that something has went wrong. That is not how they're trained in active shooter situations, to, to stand outside a, a classroom. Um, so they will be uh, doing that investigation. And, of course, if any wrongdoing is found, it could turn into a criminal investigation. But, uh, yeah, this is something that, that so many people, the families, the community at large, they, they really need some answers as to why that response took so long. Heather, thank you so much for the update and for your time this morning. We appreciate it. All right. You're welcome. Thank you. Thank you. That is Heather Urex-West, Global News Correspondent, reporting this morning live from Uvalde, Texas. Between May 2020 and January of this year, the number of doctors accepting new patients dropped from 907 to 446. Why is Alberta having difficulties holding on to physicians? With details, we are joined by Global News reporter Sarah Offen. Good morning to you, Sarah. Good morning. Well, let's get right to the heart of the matter. Do, do we know why so many doctors are leaving the province, Sarah? Well, you know, we've been speaking with the um, the College of Physicians and Surgeons of Alberta. They're the, the provincial regulator for physicians. Um, and they've really been speaking about, you know, just a lot of them, uh, the physicians. I mean, we're seeing staffing shortages, let's just say, in, in every industry right now in Alberta, but specifically this physician shortage is, is Canada-wide. So we know that there's recruitment processes that are going on in other provinces. Uh, we know that a lot of 
doctors are leaving our provinces. And we're hearing, um, you know, from doctors themselves who, who say that they are burnt out um, and and others that are aging out simply and, and are retiring and, and leaving the system. So it's leaving um, quite a gap right now. I know my doctor uh, as well has just um, hightailed it for BC. Uh, so I was speaking with him out of Kelowna uh, last week. So this is something that I'm hearing from a, a lot of other people too, that uh, their doctors are leaving and now they're in this challenge of, of trying to get a new one. Yeah, me too. And I've certainly seen it on my Facebook feed as well. Anybody have a doctor who's accepting new patients, even for a single, let alone for a family, seems really hard. So have you been hearing from people just how much difficulty there is trying to find a a family physician or, or just even for one person to get in to see a new doctor? Yeah, well, you know, as you mentioned, it's, it's, uh, the, the, the number of, of doctors that are accepting patients is, is much less than we have seen previously in, in this province. So that's a challenge. But the, the, the other thing that it, that, that it is causing, of course, is now this, um, this, this challenge in emergency care. Because what happens, of course, is that, uh, you know, if you can't get in to see a doctor in your own community, well, then you let things go a little bit. And at some point you say, I urgently need to deal with this. Well, I'm going to go to uh, uh, an emergency care setting like a hospital this morning we're seeing wait times between uh between two and a half to seven over seven hours at south health campus this morning so this is something that doctors tell us is spilling over into other areas but they attribute this to, to people not being able to get the care that they need in their community and then of course that ends up in the hospital, less beds are available. And there's challenges then even with discharging patients because you need to know that there's a follow-up of care for them before you can send them back out in the community with whatever health situation they're dealing with. So when we can't find a doctor, we go to urgent care. That clogs up the system. That shouldn't be the pathway, but obviously we're going to do what we're going to do. What, what, would, what would fix this, Sarah? What, what are we hearing? Is this a case of you know, putting in some incentives, or do we need to put uh, more emphasis on the education in the medical field and get more doctors kind of homegrown here in the province? Well, that's a good idea. The, the, the recruitment process is something that we have heard from um, these regulators that there needs to be more of it. We've, again, seen other provinces doing that. Um, and then, uh, of course, the, the, the biggest thing that they, they say is it's really just that investment in that primary care system. We know right now that the province is really uh, dealing with things on sort of a need basis, so identifying where the, the, the biggest shortages are. You know, for example, we've seen um, in Red Deer that hospital really having challenges with um, with their their surgery rooms and 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 making enough beds for people so addressing things on sort of a need-by-need basis right now but uh, again a lot of people saying what needs to be done is just having more investment right now into primary care as well as recruiting more doctors to uh, our lovely province uh, so that we can all get the care we need is the province talking about what people should do then i mean if you can't find a doctor i mean you're not supposed to go to the emergency room that overruns things i walk-in clinics clinics seem to be you know sort of few and far between so what are we supposed to do? Yeah, I mean, it, <laughs> there's not a lot of options. Of course, we know that there's um, there's urgent care centers in, in Calgary as well. That's the other option apart from, from going to an, an emergency room. The ideal, of course, is to, to try and get that care with a family physician. If you can't do that, of course, there's always um, the walk-in clinics as well. But um, but certainly more family physicians seems to be the, the ideal way to go if, uh, if we can get in to see one.
All right. Well, again, this is unfolding in front of our eyes. It's uh, one of those issues, Sarah, that absolutely affects all of us. So we appreciate your time this morning. Thank you. That is uh, Global News reporter Sarah Often. And can you imagine? Like, I mean, for us, it wasn't a case of a shortage, but our physician years ago, maybe even only about four or five years ago, I'm going to be retiring. We knew it was coming. It mm-hmm. happened. And then poof. It's almost like there's no pathway to, hey, Sue, here are the steps you take to find a new physician. You're kind of on your own. I think so. So Some people move here and new, but even if you've been here for for quite some time, it can happen. Uh, I have a, a, you know, friends who he was an emergency room doctor uh, in um, Chestermere. Yeah. uh, Chestermere, anyway, out yeah, to yeah. the east. Sorry, it's not. I just blanked out. Strathmore, thank okay. you. And um, and decided through the pandemic, like that was enough. And I think that happened to a lot of doctors that and and just people in the medical field, you know, frontline workers. It was it was a lot for them. It was a lot for us, but it was a lot for them seeing it all happening and yeah. unfolding literally right in front of their eyes. And I think a lot of them just decided that's it, early retirement. And these people, they packed up and they moved out to uh, Vancouver Island. Well, and I think that a the, slower pace, doing yeah. something completely different. And, and maybe it's different in the U.S. when you know you're paying out of pocket from medical care. Maybe it's more a hired gun and, and considered a business. But I think here. We think of it as such a public service that we should always have ample doctors on staff, uh, trained and qualified. But also, we don't realize that they might have a better deal in different parts of the country. So, I mean, it is a business at the heart of it. Mm -hmm. And who's going to look after you but you? Yes, so I mean, as very a, true. I'm working. I'm overworked. Yeah, I don't like where you know what I'm. Be, what's being asked? It's you know I've got no backup. Let and I think on. that's part of it too, Andy. I think there's been you know a lot of. Um, unhappiness with the the UCP government and how, you know, the 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 medical field felt they were being treated, whether it's nurses or doctors. And, and, you know, as as Sarah just said, her doctor packed up and moved to BC. I've heard that story a whole bunch of times too. If you feel like you're unappreciated, well, you're going to go elsewhere, aren't you? Of course you are. And like, you're not going to have an agent saying, hey, well, no, actually we do. Actually, we've seen different governments say, Come move here. Yeah, we've got. Here, to, we'll try to especially lure you. when it comes to nurses. We've heard that yeah. even in the U.S. And it's not, you know, obviously it's not a quick fix because these people have to go through medical school. So it's not like we can just snap our fingers and, and here's a new crop of doctors. Uh, it's a tough one, and I know a lot of people who are without family doctors at this point, and they have kids, and they're wondering, you know, what am I supposed to do? Not supposed to go to emerge, but I don't really have much of a choice sometimes. And the, yeah, well, backs to the wall, particularly if you're dealing with a family member, you want to get them help, and if it's going to be weeks. Hey, we're going straight to, to uh, urgent care. Yep. And, and if you're in pain, it's all right. Uh, man, it's, it's, it's going to be interesting. It's an interesting mm-hmm. slog. But yeah, what what is your experience? Have you either A, had to wait a very long time uh, for something just because you have not had a doctor or maybe even a specialist? Uh, but your experience as far as your personal, your family doctor, 403-974-8255 is our text line. Do you have one? What was that process to find a doctor? Let us know. Maybe it's the annual annoyance you've come to expect, or maybe it's a whole new experience for you. We're talking seasonal allergies. To discuss this challenging time for many, we're joined by Dr. Ted Jablonski, our on-call family physician. Good morning to you, Dr. J. Good morning. Well, how common are seasonal allergies? We have some numbers on and how many people or what percentage? Oh, I'm not sure that I have an exact number for you, but it's common enough and... Uh... And certainly, uh, there's a wide variety of experience. Like some people have very mild seasonal allergies, uh, so they would be counted as a positive. But yet, it's a very minor problem. Other people, it's severe. 
It's annual, it's nasty, and they're constantly looking for solutions year after year after year. Dr. J, we're losing you there. We've got a, a very weird connection. Can you lift your left arm and stand on your right foot, please? That's Is that it. better? Oh, yeah, oh, see? that's a lot better. Good job. Excellent. Oh. Okay, perfect. Oh, so how do we know, Dr. J, if we have allergies or we have a cold? Is there a difference? Well, allergies uh, typically come right at the exact same time every year. So different than a cold, usually have no fever or chills. It's, it can be a runny nose, itchy eyes, itchy nose, sneezing. Uh, so it's a, it's a little different. You don't feel flu-like with allergies, but you just have these, you know, the symptoms that are typically the respiratory type symptoms. Do you have to be professionally diagnosed, Dr. J, or is this something that I can go to the pharmacist and try an allergy medication, or is that the wrong path? Well, it depends on how the severity here. So if you have very mild allergies, you basically target where the allergies are. If you have itchy eyes, then get a, uh, an allergy drop for your eyes. If you have itchy nose, then you can use a nasal uh, saline rinse or a nasal spray. Um, if it's a more of a cough or sneezing and antihistamine orally, these are all things you can get over the counter. And I think that's quite reasonable for any individual to do that. I think if it's more moderate or more severe, it's nasty, I think you probably should uh, seek out some professional medical help because there are more specific things we can do that are a little bit more potent, perhaps. And Dr. J, you know, on that note, would you say that most over-the-counter stuff is, you know, is is one any better than the other? Are they all basically the same? When I'm talking, you know, specific ones that target certain things, are they all generally the same product? They're variations of a theme. Uh, some people do find one product works better for them than another. So I think it's reasonable to actually try a few different things and not just stick to one. Okay. But when the day is done, yes, they're more similar than dissimilar in that sense. And I think there's this like notion sometimes, or maybe it's just my personal perspective, that if you have allergies, you've had them since you were little, since you were a child. But, you know, later in life, things can change up, can't they? Yes, very much. So it's very interesting that some people literally seem to grow out of their allergies or have a lot of troubles as youth, and then it seems to be better as an adult. And sometimes it's the exact opposite. Sometimes a move is uh, either very favorable or horrible, right? You move to an area where there's a much higher pollen or weeds or certain, and, and some people really struggle uh, later in life, say, because they actually have retired to a different area uh, that their body is really not used to at all. Well, get to the drugstore and get, get something that will help, right? It's, it's not worth suffering through it, is it? Oh, absolutely. So this is, we've, we've come a long way. We have some pretty good products out there. So use them if you need them. Um, and again, if it's more serious, really nasty, and you're really suffering, then yeah, seek out professional help. We can help this. This is one of those things that is pretty fixable. Good stuff. Thank you so much for your time and have a good rest of your week, Dr. J. Yeah, you betcha. Dr. Ted Jablonski, our on-call family physician. Mental health issues really only getting worse for so many, and, and so many of us feel like we have no control over our circumstances. But we have far more control than most may realize. It's time to take our power back and realize that we deserve balance, freedom, and happiness, and truly can choose this mindset shift for ourselves at any time we want. Joining us with some tips on this Motivational Monday is Beth Jones, coach, author, and founder of The Reprogram. Good morning to you, Beth. Thanks for being with us. Good morning. Thank you. Pleasure to have you here with us. First off, can you start telling us what the reprogram is this, this that you've created? Yeah, so it's really interesting. It's, it's effectively a subconscious retraining program. So it's a 
it's a nine-week course that teaches people how to activate their own power, how to empower themselves to, you know, sort of draw all their energy back from the world around us so we can exercise the, the control you were just talking about, that we actually have over our own life experience. And then acknowledge our story so we can fully embrace our life journey thus far and um, free ourselves from shame and guilt that we carry from past decisions and heavy emotions. And then, like Andy was talking about earlier, achieve more by actually doing less. Um, so it's a, it's a massive transformation in nine weeks, but it's, it's very powerful. And Beth, we'll get to that doing less part because that very much interests me. But uh, <laughs> yeah, you know, yeah. going back to some of the things and some of the key points that you pointed out here, which was you said a lot of your, like it, it sounds like you really want people to take personal responsibility and look from within and not necessarily look for others or a, a different program to change your life, but within you. Yes, absolutely. So one of the things that, that I do, um, because we obviously all have, access to immense amounts of information at this point. We carry the encyclopedia and ways to build rocket ships and all the things right in our pockets, right? We don't actually need more information. We need better questions um, because, you know, I mean, we, we all have ways of accomplishing what it is we want to do, but the answers that are going to align with who we actually are and the answers that are what our hearts need, our own individual hearts, are we already have them. We just have to figure out how to unlock them. Uh, and we achieve that with better questions. Okay, I like that a lot, better questions. So that makes very much sense. So how, how do we activate that control then and, and get, get in touch with all of that within? Yeah, so I, I laugh a lot because we actually are all programmed with our, I call it like OnStar for our mm. own inner truth, right? <laughs> we have, we're programmed with our own navigational system. And when we can begin to approach the world with awareness and ourselves with awareness and realize how our past wounds and our past pain are showing up in our lives as outward behaviors, then we can begin to shift the root of those patterns. And we stop looking for validation from others because we know we're acting in accordance with what's best for the highest versions of ourselves, which doesn't fail anybody in the world, right? There is no world that doesn't benefit from all of us being the highest and best version of ourselves. Mm -hmm. And so it's all just this inward journey effectively where we can stop looking to the outside world for who we should be, who everybody else thinks we should be and what we should be doing and figure out what's actually in accordance with who we are and what we want and what our gifts and our strengths are. Beth, you've really set yourself up for a line of questions and a chance to explain yourself when you do say that it's super counterintuitive. We can achieve more by doing less. How, yes. do, we do, how do we flip something like that? You know, the, the notion that we have to do so much to get a result. How do we flip that around to do less and uh, get the same results, if not better? Yeah, so I was laughing this morning because all morning I've been thinking, can I get on a motivational segment and tell people that they probably actually need less motivation and discipline <laughs> and more flow and spaciousness and rest? <laughs> like, are you allowed to say that? I don't know. Um, but the, the concept is that when we get really clear about who we actually are underneath all of the things of what society tells us we should be or we should be doing, um, 
and what we actually want, we can stop doing all of these things that everybody else is pressuring us to do or be, right? Like we have, we carry this immense pressure to be incredible employees and incredible partners to our, to our lovers and incredible parents and, you know, and fit and coiffed and all the things, right? We feel like we have to be doing and we can put all that down when we know what's important to us you know, and Beth, when we can choose what's important to us without guilt. I, I think we hopefully learned a little bit of that through the pandemic, right? To just kind of yes. to settle down, to not try and do as much, to be a little more intentional about the things that we do but maybe you know Mm -hmm. as we come out of it it feels like in my life anyway there's so much going on again and it feels like we're kind of jumping Mm -hmm. back into that where we try to do everything and and you say you know 85 percent of the things that we do every day is really unnecessary right absolutely and i'm really glad you mentioned the pandemic because i think that exactly to your point we, we sort of were forced to go within a little bit because we had this spaciousness that was kind of forced upon us, right? And so we had time to think a little about what we wanted our lives to look like. And now the world is sort of, you know, kind of doing this long pull back to normal. And that pressure is coming, the walls are closing in again because we don't know how to actually make the shifts. And so we're feeling this disconnect in our day-to-day lives. It's like, this isn't what I want, but I don't know what else to do. Yeah, it, it, And it's causing a disruption in people. A, a disruption plus, yeah, you, in some ways we visited a different time with the pandemic and many of us would like to, you know, set up real estate and not have those old lives. So maybe a great opportunity. Are you finding that from a lot of the people you come into contact with when it comes to coaching and you know, perhaps, you know, shake hands with it at, at, at book signings, that people at this point, you can see they really want to pivot and make a, a real change in their lives? Yes, absolutely. I think, and I, and I think one of the things too is that all of us are trying to pretend like we're okay, right? Everybody's out in the world doing the things and acting, you know, trying to act like nothing's wrong and that we're not feeling this deep disconnect within ourselves. And so it's, it's, um, it's weakening the connection between humans because we're not being real with each other about this, this pain and discomfort we're experiencing. And so the people, you know, we all go home at night and start thinking about it. And we're like, why am I the only one that's feeling this? But we're not, mm-hmm. we're just not talking about it. Mm-hmm. And so I think it's far more the majority than not that are experiencing this, like we, this can't be the way this, this current modern world of, do everything all the time and be everything to everyone can't be the way because we're exhausted. It is very and, true. But nobody, again, yeah. like trying to figure out how to make that shift is is difficult. Yeah, it is true. But I think, you know, putting it front of mind and, and reminding us that we need to think about that and, and making that shift mm-hmm. and getting back into control of ourselves, I think is an excellent mm-hmm. reminder. Thank you so much for joining us this morning. Appreciate your time. Yeah, thanks so much. Thank you. Beth Jones is a coach, author, and founder of The Reprogram. She's also written a book called How to Achieve More by Doing Less. You can go to her website, keyholdersociety.com. And it's interesting because I think that sometimes the overcomplication of the life, not necessarily just being lazy, Sue. <laughs> Why are you looking at me? Uh, but at the same time, you know, overcomplicating and not focusing. Yes. Keep it simple, stupid. Focus is good. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
Thanks for downloading and listening to the podcast. Don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review for free at Apple Podcast, Google Play, or wherever you find your podcasts. And tune in to Mornings with Sue and Andy from 530 to 9 every weekday morning on 770 CHQR.